0: Hi, it's Gillian here from Irish Funds. Today we are bringing you the next episode in our series of recordings from the Irish Funds 10th Annual UK Symposium which took place on November 30th in London. This episode features the update on regulation panel discussion which was moderated by Ian Ferguson of McCann Fitzgerald and includes Dervil Rowland of the Central Bank of Ireland and Camille Blackburn of the FCA. The panel discusses the key focus areas for regulators over the next 12 months, including macro prudential measures, in addition to governance considerations, fund resilience, ESG investing, and the broadening of the investor base in private markets. We hope you enjoy this episode and be sure to keep an eye out for further podcasts on the UK Symposium coming soon.
1: Um. You might have noticed we're um, a person down (laughs) today, Um, Antonio, unfortunately um, had issues with uh, train strikes um, in Europe, um, not in the UK, I might add. Um, So that might save us another 15 minutes, I think. Um, uh, You're all very welcome today. I'm always a very popular panel at conferences um, as we all try and work out um, how much of our time is going to be... Um, uh, given and devoted to regulatory change projects over the coming year uh, but we do really appreciate um, uh, Derville and Camille uh, you make making the time to come here today and to share insights of the the regulator view of the world um, and it is a world that's facing challenges over the past uh, couple of years in particular and obviously our our fund industry doesn't operate in a vacuum Um political and policy events obviously and lead to changes in financial markets, um, which brings with it new risks, new challenges. Um, but I think the funds industry and regulators are very much aligned um, on the importance of identifying those risks um, and trying to come up with um, mitigants uh, to, to appropriately address those risks, um, always with um, investor protection at the heart of, of, of those um, uh, um, uh, solutions. And it's why engagement between industry and regulators, I think, is, is so very important. I think we have a better chance of appropriately mitigating those risks that are identified if there's a good communication between what the priorities of the regulators are and what the priorities of industry are. And so we're, we're very pleased that you're here today to give those insights from a regulatory perspective. So, Darvel, I might turn to you first. Um, <clears throat> and quite a lot of the themes, I think, we'll discuss, uh, you touched on on your speech today. Um, But in the spirit of debating and and aligning with those uh, priorities between regulators and and industry, um, for the Central Bank of Ireland, what what has been the priorities and what do you expect to be the priorities over the coming year?
0: Um, Thank you. Uh, (laughs) I I had difficulty distilling down the wide choice of priorities that the (laughs) central bank offers me uh, to select uh, for you because you'll know, some of you will know, we're an integrated regulator, and actually we see that as a key strength for us. So some of what I will say is obviously and directly relevant to you, and it'll be uh, some of the issues I raised in my speech, but I think one of the key benefits of an integrated regulator is that you can see with a horizontal lens uh, issues that are arising across financial services in a wider construct. So uh, some of those are really uh, material priorities Uh, for us in your uh, area, but right across all of financial services. I I might start by saying that uh, I hope in my um, remarks that you saw our belief and support for further development of capital markets union. There has been some work done, uh, but more to go, because it's uh, so apparent that the uh, European economy needs um, deeper liquidity pools Uh, to further the key uh, areas of focus. So that is uh, an opportunity right now, because when the Commission are at the end of one cycle, they start looking at the uh, agenda for the next cycle, and that moment is now. So it's actually really important to harness uh, all of our um, voices in that. So I would say it's a priority for us to, and part of our strategy, to be forward looking, so not, you know, we can all keep so busy on what's on our desk today that you don't take the time to look at what you'd be selecting uh, for progress. So for me, a key area of focus that will continue to become more and more relevant is to be ready now to influence for the next commission agenda, and uh, Capital Markets Union, I think, is one of those areas that uh, we all have common cause and common interest in. If I bring it down to the international work. Then you heard me talk uh, when I in the speech about the international agenda, for sure, on resilience in funds is top of global priorities. I'd be shocked if Camille and I don't uh, have equal uh, priority on that. I work very well with her colleagues in IOSCO, it's at the FSB level, so liquidity, that work is nearly done with the elegantly phrased bucketing approach. Um, And you will see that in Europe translate into the regulatory frameworks, I think we're in a reasonable position in Ireland with uh, the availability of liquidity management tools. You'll see that in AIFMD as well. But there will be more work over time. The focus has now moved into leverage, and I know the uh, FCA are co-chairing some of that work. We co-chaired the liquidity work with our our colleagues in Hong Kong. That's at IOSCO level uh, as well as uh, FSB level. So you will hear and see those issues uh, coming up in terms of Other policy priorities, retail investment, Uh, there's a a pensions crisis uh, facing so many of uh, the jurisdictions, so that remains a key issue, and how that file will land in the EU remains uh, a work in progress. We, at a domestic level, are looking at our own consumer protection framework. I see that you have a consumer duty uh, here. I follow that with great interest. We're taking a slightly different approach. We'll be going to consultation on that next year, and we will think about how that works in alignment with EU uh, frameworks and how the retail investors strategy is going. I could talk for too long, but I won't, because I know Camille would like to get in, and uh, we can talk about innovation sandboxes. Yeah. We have consultation in that area. Area. And, of course, in terms of funds, sustainability is a key issue. We have common supervisory actions with ESMA that we participate in, and you will see us very interested in or disclosures, the quality of that. We've been developing a regulatory tool to assist us uh, uh, to be better uh, at that, and that definitely will be a continued focus. And finally, I will say data. I know we keep asking for it. We have lots of it. But it's one of our strategic objectives, again, to be an intelligence-led organisation. That means you really must have insights from the information that you have. And because a lot of the international funds work is about interconnection, it is about What is going on in one jurisdiction, what might happen in terms of margining in one area and what might be rational individual decisions for one fund may not be right at a systemic level. We will not be able to make those judgments without high quality data. So data is, I think, a global priority as well. I'll leave it there.
1: Perfect. Thanks, Darvel <clears throat> And I think, obviously, um, as, a, as an EU-competent authority, there is a, a, quite a significant overlap in terms of the, the I guess, the focus of ESMA and, and the EU and on those types of issues. Um, but for the UK, um, part of Europe, but no longer part of the EU, um, and you know, kind of conscious that you're struggling with similar types of key risks that you're identifying in the system, and that's always having to be balanced with... You know, the industry expectation that I think was your minister um, for the, the new minister for the city of London said that um, no one wants, no one wants the safest graveyards. Um, and I think that balance of and achieving that balance between industry and regulatory priority is key. So from a UK FCA perspective, what, what are those priorities and have been they been in the past year and what do you expect them to be on a thematic basis over the coming months?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a great quote that, isn't it? Yeah. The, uh, we don't want to be the safest graveyard. Um, it's always tempting in a, in a panel like this, especially when you've got uh, a colleague like uh, Durville speaking before you saying what she said <laughs> and, and and not running through it again. But I, I do think it is a busy regulatory agenda. And uh, of course, we, like you, have had a very, very uh, busy year. Uh, and, and not only in regulation. So we, we, we like uh, the Central Bank of Ireland spend a lot of time uh, surveying the risk environment, the, the external risk environment, and of course we notice the the the, um, the market disruption events that all of us have had to navigate over the over the past 12 months. You know, three or four quite significant market disruption events. Uh, you talked about the Credit Suisse, UBS in your in your comments before, but that was only one of a few examples for, of this year. All the uh, geopolitical tension that all of us need to uh, lean into and keep an eye on and and uh, and uh, assess the risk to our, our fund environment it is has been keeping us. Uh, very busy, and then of course there are the, the, the business pressures that I know are forefront of everyone in this uh, room's mind. Uh, fee compression and uh, market consolidation that's happening in our industry as well. So w- with all of that in mind, uh, in, in, uh, to answer the question about the year, I'd, I'd like to cheat a little bit and talk about the year that was, so 2023 what we can expect in the very little of this calendar year that we've got to uh, year end, and then perhaps do a little bit of a look forward to some of the themes that Dervil's already touched on. So if we look at the year that was this year, the the, uh, retail environment in particular, the competitive environment in which uh, a lot of your funds will be leaning into has changed over the last uh, 12 months. In the middle of the year, Derval referred to the consumer duty, so we had the commencement of a consumer duty. And how that will manifest for your boards, for your Irish boards, is that uh, distributors in the UK will will, will be le- leaning into the oversight mechanisms that you have uh, to ask about how you can be sure that value is being uh, presented to retail customers uh, in the UK. So that will co- be continue to be an important conversation for us uh, over the course of, of uh, this year and, uh, and leaning into the next few years. Uh, we're, we're about two days into SDR, so the, our, our sustainability uh, disclosure regime uh, here in the UK. You will have seen that uh, announced uh, at, earlier this week. Uh, so that is our, uh, the, the UK retail regime uh, that has three elements to it. Uh, The first is a labelling labelling of uh, uh, qualifying uh, funds. Uh, So there are four labels that were announced two days ago uh, to deal with sustainability uh, with funds that have in their objective different types of sustainability objectives. Uh, There's the naming and marketing rules uh, that were were announced and then there's a general greenwashing, uh, misleading and deceptive uh, type Uh, set of rules that were announced as well. Now all of those were announced two days ago, so it's early days, Uh, but uh, the good news, the good news for you is that um, as part of the announcements, the the, uh, policy statement that was released, there are tables that help navigate between SFDR and SDR. So, uh, how how the, 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 in in the documentation that you'll see, there's a, a navigation tool that uh, helps you to navigate how that how those regimes will be seen. Uh, if your article eight your article nine funds uh, m- may marry across to uh, some of these disclosure rules, yeah, I will send that to you <laughs> Duval um, so that 's SDR so the the, the the year that was uh, some of the some of the initiatives that we ca- we will uh, be talking about between now and year end. Uh, The the one that I suspect will be of most interest to this room is OFR, so the offshore funds regime. Uh, uh, So that is of course the permanent house uh, that we we will move funds that are currently reside in the temporary permissions regime that was put in place following Brexit uh, for funds that want to market into the UK UK, uh, retail environment. Uh, there's, there's two steps, uh, actually I'll come back to that, will I later sure. on and, yeah. uh, and provide a little bit more detail, um, but a spoiler alert, there's two steps. The first step is a, a, a process type steps that would apply to any, any decision on equivalence uh, where we uh, where we will be uh, welcoming uh, funds to uh, to market to retail customers in the UK. So the actual how how will you authorise yourself to do that? That paper should be coming out shortly. So that, uh, spoiler alert. The second part, of course, is the equivalence decision. Uh, that is not an FCA decision, but a a UK Treasury hmt decision and i am unable to update you on that so spoiler alert of what i'm about to uh, that i'll provide more details about later and that takes us oh and money market funds there will be some uh, a policy statement on money market funds that uh, we're, we're hopeful uh, you will receive before the end of the year which then turns to the focus for next year and uh, I'll talk a little bit about this uh, as, we, as we move through the panel, but we have just gone through our risk assessment of uh, the external environment and therefore um, have made some preliminary calls about where we would like to put, uh, particularly our supervisory resources uh, in 2024, and they do lean into the, to the, um, into the trend that Derville's already trialled with you about the growth of alternative assets and, and um, at private private markets. Uh, and how that manifests for us is that we will be doing a bit of a bit of work on looking at the valuation disciplines around private assets or assets in private markets. And uh, there are a number of reasons why it's a good time we think for us to uh, refresh our disciplines uh, around that area. Great, thanks.
1: Um, I suppose it's quite reassuring to hear that lots of the the regulatory topics of interest um, are aligning um, uh, uh, from a UK FCA basis and an an EU and an an Irish basis. And maybe, Darvill, on that, I guess, convergence um, priority at EU level, um, what what type of work is being done within ESMA and some of the standing committees um, uh, to get us to that united um, position?
0: So um, when I was preparing for this panel today, I was gratified to know that Antonio Uh, from ESMA was coming along, and he would answer all your questions on convergence at an EU level. But then um, I learned that uh, he wasn't, in fact, able to attend. And with the agility rarely shown by a regulator, I thought I'd better have something reasonable to say, given that I chair the um, Investment Management Standing Committee in ESMA, and I sit on uh, the supervisory uh, board of ESMA, But what's actually more interesting for me is if we start at the global uh, level for a moment. Um, I sit on IOSCO, and since the uh, UK left the EU, they have, uh, it's no surprise to you, made a strategic uh, commitment to being influential globally. And of course that is welcome and a good thing. And around those tables, uh, and there are many different versions of this that regulators and central bankers get involved in, you have global risk. All of our work starts with the risk analysis. Uh, Sometimes it's sectoral, Uh, and it can have other lenses. But it drives our prioritisation agendas, and I think we all have common approaches that way. You'll have a domestic regulatory agenda, you'll have a domestic supervisory agenda, that should converge with your European agenda for us, but it should all align quite well with the global uh, agendas as well. So for us, convergence is a key top priority for us in the EU. It's a top priority for asthma. Uh, for the purposes inside the EU it makes sense for the application of the regulatory frameworks so that if you have, uh, and it doesn't work perfectly, uh, we all know that too, um, that if you have an interpretation of a requirement in Dublin or um, in Frankfurt, that uh, you could reasonably recognise that interpretation. But it's always actually better to deal with that before a framework comes in, not afterwards, because it is very understandable that you will get uh, a re- uh, an approach that may not be convergent, simply because people will think about doing the same thing slightly differently. We like to always reflect a principle-based uh, view of and an outcome Uh, based view, and we work hard at uh, ESMA to be really um, committed supporters of the convergence agenda. And so for us, uh, the sustainability agenda is a really important convergence agenda, but it's a top priority at global level as well. And the key word we're always good at making up words that are really no use to anybody outside of the regulatory world is intraoperability at uh, the world level, which means The sustainability agenda is really important. There will be a recognition that the UK um, have moved on now in um, their regime, which I really welcome, really interested to see how it plays out. I I looked at the consultation paper and thought I needed a map to map the approach in the UK to the EU approach, but I'm glad my friend is going to give me that, and that'll be fine, Uh, because you need to have interoperability. You may not have the same frameworks in every jurisdiction, but you need to have them speaking to each other at the key important points. So, convergence is really important at level playing field uh, level in the EU, and more importantly, I think, global, because some of these concepts are global uh, concepts. And if I come back to the EU, there's one with fund naming, uh, which was a a hot topic um, in the EU, because you see different fund names being applied, Uh, to products across jurisdictions that maybe uh, don't make a lot of sense for the investor, but different approaches are being taken. I'm particularly sensitive to the fact that uh, you operate in a global uh, world, so standardisation, um, and common interpretation up front and early is best, uh, and we recognise that as well. So having very strong international engagement and relationships uh, is also part of our convergence agenda in Ireland. Uh, we see ourselves as having a position of absolutely committed Uh, Europeans and we're fully committed to the EU agenda and participating with influence there to drive convergence. But we also see that we work in an open world so that we too Um, seek to understand the U.S. approach and the U.K. approach. And because we have common law jurisdiction thinking, uh, we can often find that quite persuasive. So we see ourselves sometimes as a bridge. So convergence matters to us in lots of different uh, dimensions, but particularly for the level playing field. So we're having really interesting talks. It may not affect you so directly in um, regulation of crypto assets uh, is coming in the EU and some of that falls to the other regulators but some of uh, it falls to the markets regulator and that's a core example of how to do this well up front because it's far better now to get the regulatory framework uh, interpreted in a converged way now. So that leads lots of homework at standing committee level to get interpretation going and then the second level is more important nearly supervisory convergence which is a key agenda so approaches standards required now that takes a lot of effort to work together but in the end it delivers better outcomes and certainly better to start there upfront rather than later so
1: perfect I'll and leave I, that there and I think from a member perspective it is that you know, lots of the member firms will have global footprints, they'll have operations in the US, UK and the EU, and it is that um, ability to leverage off compliance requirements that are consistent um, with regulatory principles, albeit that at a local level they might be applied slightly different, is a really key driver for them, and I think it's really important that regulators speak to each other um, on that, and it sounds like you are. So
0: maybe just a word on that. You know, fragmentation is okay if it's not material, But what you can't have is material, unhelpful uh, divergence that brings significant risk. So that's where, for example, the macroprudential approach in funds where you're looking at common approaches on liquidity, common approaches on leverage, common approaches that we have taken point issue approaches to fix things so far. But in all of that, we have reached out, as others have as well, Uh, to make sure that it works in an interconnected world and that you can apply the standard Mm -hmm. um, in in the same way in Luxembourg, in Dublin, um, in London, because it won't work without that. But minor fragmentation that isn't material, of course, will occur. It's when you have material fragmentation that brings risk with it or is in a blocker to real progress. They're the ones that you have to prioritise.
1: Exactly. And Camille, obviously, being somewhat out of the the club in terms of of the EU perspective, um, how does the UK FCA see its um, function in terms of adding to that global convergence?
2: Uh, so again, uh, you know, it really is tempting to say what Dovell said. Yeah. you know what <laughs> Dovell said. Uh, but the, I, I suppose the the uh, additional element that I would I would like to add is that. Um, the CBI is the Bank of England and the Prudential Regulatory Authority and the, and the FCA. Uh, so uh, we, we are FCA funds. Of course, are the primary regulators in most cases. Uh, it's the conduct regulator. So the FCA and the conduct element of the of the um, the Central Bank of Ireland. Uh, if, because of that, uh, the 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 uh, convergence on. Um, The convergence for us is, it it is important to go international, so go into uh, IOSCO, and as Dervil noted, we are positioning ourselves so that we can be influential, particularly uh, in the funds environment, and the funds environment is a conduct regulated uh, part of the the financial system. but is genuinely global. So there are very, very few businesses in conduct land. So in that, that aren't domestically focused. The the funds, the the asset management business and the funds business is a genuinely internationally focused uh, and internationally distributed part of. Uh, financial systems so that convergence issue is particularly important um, for for everyone in this room and we certainly and I know you do at the CBI but we certainly at the FCA spend a lot of time thinking about convergence not only with the EU but also how how our system relates into the US how our system relates into Asia and how our system can talk to um, Regimes in emerging economies as well, so it is a it's a it's a complicated uh, environment that all of us lean into.
1: And and of course, the risk of not doing that is that you focus too much on your internal market. And Darvel, I know you've mentioned in your speech um, today and and on other occasions at a central bank conference um, a couple of weeks ago, this idea within the EU of open strategic autonomy and what that might mean, um, uh, which which to my mind is fix your own house and ensure it's a robust model, but be open for others that can meet the same standards that you apply to your internal market to access um, that market, the, the, the EU market. Um, and I guess there was a lot of debate around the, the delegation model, which would be the most popular model for Irish funds. And I was just wondering you know, where that conversation had gone around that uh, in that context.
0: That's a a great question. Uh, It's a big question. I don't have the perfect answer to that question. But um, it's a phrase that came into being in kind of the last cycle, particularly with uh, the learning from um, the awful events uh, that we all lived through in COVID, uh, where we saw supply chains were really um, uh, strategically um, frail for things that we need to have in order to be safe. And then you see uh, the unthinkable um, horrific uh, and illegal uh, war that Russia um, have met on their neighbors in the Ukraine. And all of a sudden, events that you thought were unthinkable make you rethink what you need to be safe. But strategic autonomy is a choice. And it is a choice that you need to be discerning about what you need to do in order to be resilient uh, to serve your own interests and keep your people safe. So that could be around uh, supply chain issues in medical um, devices or medical services and products that you need in times of stress. It may be that you can be sure, because what we see all the time Um, And people say it in banking, a bank is international in life and uh, domestic in death. And you see, in uh, times of stress, your international supply chain may not work in the way that you expected. But one must respond to things in a measured and balanced way. And for me, strategic autonomy makes perfect sense. But in a, a word I've been using a lot recently is you need to be discerning about where that is relevant, and what you need to do to give effect to that. So I think in financial services, uh, strategic autonomy, you need to be thoughtful about that, but I see it as open strategic autonomy, because financial services and capital markets are global. And in my speech, I referenced the fact that the UK are charting their own course. Uh, But like uh, New York, London, Um, Hong Kong, Singapore, there are lots of financial centres in the world and Europe is one of them and we better be connected and interconnected. So I see it as a balanced approach and in Ireland of course it comes up because AIFMD focuses on delegation and uh, we think we've done a lot of work already in terms of uh, what we call locally uh, CP86 but it was looking at governance substance and we thought that Uh, approach, uh, properly applied, uh, delivers a good answer. But without a doubt, a lot of data will be collected in ESMA on delegation, uh, and a lot of information about uh, the substance of retained uh, roles and functions uh, will be the focus, and this dialogue no doubt will evolve over time once once that information becomes uh, more mature over time. So it's something to keep a watch on. Uh, I think that uh, an industry has to deliver uh, properly according to the legal frameworks, but I think a lot of work has been done, and it's important uh, to be relevant in the way that these things are interpreted as well as how they're applied, and I think that will continue to be an issue uh, maybe in the next cycle. I know that I probably will have the pleasure in IMSC of looking at RTSs and ITSs to decide uh, how much data and what data to collect. So it's something the industry will be very involved in uh, as we move forward. But I don't have a perfect answer now, but I have a view that we need to be open and think about this in a global context.
1: So watch the space on that one um and Camille I suppose in in the context of open markets you'd mentioned um, the um, offshore funds regime in the UK so um, is now the time to Tell all members that Irish funds will be able to be sold in the Have UK. Have the big reveal? <laughs> exactly. yeah.
2: <laughs> the big reveal. Uh, so no big reveal. There uh, will there will be, there will be a, uh, a consultation paper coming out in in uh, before before that before Christmas in in in, in uh, what's left of uh, this year, and that really will focus on how we how we would operationalise the OFR if an equivalence decision is made. So I, I need to I really need to be. Very very careful to emphasise the fact that no decision has been made, and that that is not a decision uh, that is in our purview. So, classic regulators speak. Um, but uh, hopefully, we're we're putting this uh, consultation paper out uh, so that you will have good visibility about the types of things that you will be asked as uh, as. Uh, in the event that uh, we will need to authorise uh, your funds and how we go, how we will go about uh, dealing with those applications. Uh, a number of you will already be aware that we're, we're, we're doing a, a lot of work on our authorisations uh, process behind the scenes anyway to, to make sure that that will be as painless an experience as, as we can accommodate uh, given that uh, there's certain information that we do need to uh, receive from you. Uh, but uh, yeah, I commend that publication to you that you uh, that you should see uh, shortly. Um The other, as far as other publications that, uh, and I know you're always looking for extra regulatory reading, so the other publication that I might commend to you is something that should be hitting your inbox right now, and that really is about the regulatory initiatives grid. And that, of course, is a publication that comes out twice a year on, uh, it's a forward look of the next six months of, of, uh, initiatives that are coming out in the UK, not just from the FCA, but also from Treasury, from the Bank of England, from the PRA, from the Information Commissioner, so that you've got a one stop shop of, of uh, initiatives that. Uh, that are coming your way. But I think the best read for, for this audience, the, the bit that you'll get terribly excited about, are the, is the section on the offshore funds regime and, uh, and money market funds, um, probably the big piece.
1: Just one technical question, and maybe it's a little bit unfair to put you on the spot, on it, but it's just come up on the screen. Um, and the question is, does the FCA expect Irish funds that distribute in the UK to conduct value assessments in line with the UK assessment regime?
2: Uh, so that that is part of the whole decision-making process. So we'll have to okay. wait and uh, and see uh, what the final decisions are on on issues like that. So we've got a little bit of a timing difference with this conference, I'm afraid, Pat, and the, me being able to answer that yeah. uh, answer that well. Uh, people in the room would know that in uh, if you weren 't in the temporary permissions regime, so moving into ofR and you 've come in through a a process that we 're using at the moment, we have been applying the assessment of value rules for those funds that are coming into the u k at the moment, uh, but that 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 is that that is not necessarily indicative okay. of how we might end up with. Uh, OFR, but I'm afraid that's something that I'll have to write to you about
1: okay, uh, when we see
2: the final decision.
0: That's kinda, is that a Treasury decision or an FCA decision?
2: It's a Treasury decision. It's that, part of the That Treasury. could be thinking
0: about equivalence um, yes, of that's right. EU regimes and will they be deemed as equal, and if they are, that could be the end of it, and if they're not, then there could be extra... Requirements. Correct. Regulatory dialogue.
1: Live. <laughs> <laughs> live on stage. I like it. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, look. I don't think any uh, conference panel debate um, uh, worth its salt um, wouldn't touch on the ESG agenda. And I think it is one of those examples of why convergence of, of principles uh, from a regulatory perspective is really critical. You know, obviously, having, as you touched on, um, Darrell, the minutia of the rules operating in different markets is okay as long as the main principles are, are aligned. But I think the ESG rules and principles, that's where we're all struggling a little bit um, from an industry perspective in, um, you know, the EU was the first to market with its regime, things have developed, we're likely to have different um, um, regimes applying in the near future for UK and, and EU. It's true. Yeah. So what's the, the central bank's priority in relation to that? I was that?
0: wondering, was it you
1: <laughs> Yeah. Um,
0: so look, I think, and um, we can hit one of these questions as well. I think uh, there's a question about the EU have um, a consultation, a limited consultation open at the uh, moment, I think, on SFDR. I think I'm um, like an advertising campaign. Um, it closes on the 15th of December, <laughs> so get your answers in early. Um, I think it's limited and closing. And I don't think you will see the EU jump too quickly now to a labelling regime. And I commend my colleagues on uh, getting uh, to that now because I think it would be helpful and welcome in the longer run. But in Ireland, we won't legislate uh, locally on these things because we think, and some countries have done that initially, but we think it's better to take uh, an approach in lockstep with the EU and drive for convergence at EU level. And that's a, a good answer. That isn't to say we won't be taking our own sensible views at the gate. We have a very big funds industry in Ireland with a lot of applications coming in. So we will definitely be doing work on that. But again, that is because we are working on that agenda at EU level as well. So whilst we have our own views, we work with our European colleagues And um, I think it's true that the legislative cycle um, in the EU is probably entering the more closing phases of this uh, mandate and thinking about what will be uh, looked at for the next mandate. So I can't say whether they will do um, extensive uh, regulation again. This will be limited, I think. We certainly have an appetite in ESMA to deal with the issue. Uh, that we think is a real material issue in greenwashing uh, for investors uh, on fund names. And it may be that that can be dealt with when S- um, AIFMD is brought into force. I think in March of next year we'll be able to use that as, as a hook. But that's a European approach, again, which I think a converged uh, European approach it is the way forward. Um, So, this will move, I think, more slowly. Sean Berrigan spoke at the conference that the Central Bank had in Dublin, and I know I've spoken to him. Uh, He heads up the uh, financial services uh, work at the Commission. And, you know, he he is a guy with a a lot of people, tell Sean a a lot of things. Uh, But he said, we have a really extensive framework in the European Union on this topic. I read in um, Ignites with the fatigue of um, the staff of your businesses on this agenda, that it has uh, turned, maybe it's at risk of having turned into a compliance agenda, rather than a performance uh, agenda. So I think what we need to do, for now anyway, subject to a few uh, tweaks, is focus on implementing what we have well, and getting out of that. Uh, fatigue compliance thinking into performance uh, Mm. thinking and get a balance on this and I'm sure the EU will iterate again but it's more likely to be in the next legislative cycle and I have no secret information uh, on that. It kind of (laughs)
1: makes sense doesn't it that there would you know for such complex new legislation that there would have to be iterative Steps uh, towards getting to um, where people are comfortable with, and across. And there's a lot basis. of
0: good in the regime, yeah. so let's not talk about what we don't have. Yeah. Uh, I know there's data quality and uh, data issues, but there's a lot of good in the regime, so we could focus on that.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think there's maturity that still needs to happen in the in the in the ecosystem around. Uh, uh, the regime, but just to build on what da- Derval said, is of course those global bodies that we talked about before, mm. particularly IOSCO, are very interested in watching how these are developing. Not only in Europe, not only in in the UK, but also in Asia. They've, they're noting the the divergence in 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 the US. So I suspect that this will be a, a very important global discussion over the next twelve months.
1: Great. Um, we're. Fast running out of time, and there was um, one—I guess one—topic I thought um, would be useful to get um, Camille your perspective on it because I think it touches on um, themes, Darvill, that that you drew uh, drew out in your um, keynote speech earlier around uh, this move towards kind of macro prudential rules being pushed down to innovative products, and that's in the context of private assets. And you know we've had we have the SEC introducing rules around. Private asset funds where there wouldn't necessarily have ever been rules before, uh, which is reflective of, I guess, regulatory um, imperatives around new developments and opening up different types of products to a new capital base. And so I, I guess we all know what we're talking about. We're talking about retail getting access uh, to, to private assets. Um, and Camille, we, we'd heard from Darville in her speech around, you know, being available to opportunity, but that that has to be contextualised and protections around that. So what are the types of issues in that um, uh, area that um, the FCA are, are working on? Yeah, so
2: very quickly, I'll just touch on two key themes. And the first theme really is about confident investing in private assets and, and the issues around that. And I mentioned some of the work that we'll be doing on valuation of private assets over, over 2024. We think this is a sweet spot to do that work, looking at the governance over over valuation and pricing. Uh, So we'll be talking to valuation and pricing committees and looking at the discipline around valuation of private assets. But then as Dervil said, there's also the wider issue here about contagion or uh, contagion risk. Uh, between funds and, and uh, large private asset privately held assets and how shocks move through the system. Uh, And the the focus of the FCA in that space over the next 12 months will be working with the Bank of England on something called the system-wide exploratory scenario. And there's plenty of publicly available information about that. But that really is about looking at the largest NBFIs in the the, uh, UK uh, system and and providing some shocks to see how in NBFIs those shocks move through the system system that will then be used to feed up to uh, organisations like IOSCO and FSB and some of the, th- the thinking that um, Derville's already told you is happening at global level about um, understanding how those shocks permeate. Really interesting. Yeah.
1: Great. Um, so I have a flashing light and Eamon's waving at me, which means it must be lunchtime. <laughs> uh, so it just leaves me to say thank you very much to Darvel and Camille um, for a very interesting uh, discussion and wish you all the best for your lunch. Thanks.
2: Thanks, Thanks.